Hello everyone, Jay here. Tonight we'll be talking with painter Todd Casey about himself, about his new book, and about the possibility of new books in the future. A uh, very exciting episode. As what's becoming usual for us, please forgive our Zoom audio issues and enjoy the episode. And do remember that during this time, Treckle has your back. T-R-E-K-E-L-L dot com, Treckle, for all of your painting supply needs. And they ship right away. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Suggested Donation. I'm Edward Minoff. I'm Tony Serenai. Where's Jay Braun? Jay Braun's right in the here. house. Jay Braun, right Braun. Here. And we are joined by painter, author, humanitarian, dancer, Todd Casey. What else? What's what did I miss? What did I leave out? I think you nailed it with dancer. I don't know about the rest of that, though. <laughs> What's up, Todd? How are you, man? Good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Honored feel, to be uh, invited. You must have ran, ran out of guests. No, no, no. Actually, <laughs> we've been we've been sort of going back and forth. And tough with while, COVID, man. it's nobody wants to come on. <laughs> we've been going back and forth for a while to get you on. You know, um, you know, we we've we've known each other for a while, and obviously, something we'll get into whether we get into it now or later. Um, you know, your name comes up so many times because of the amazing book you wrote called The Art. You really mailed it in with that one, Todd. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> nice, man. It's so detailed. It's like ridiculous. I mean, uh, yeah, I didn't I'm even, I'm going to measure it right now. It's actually, we'll weigh it. You got to weigh it's it. It's almost an inch and a half thick. This is a good, meaty book that has so much amazing information. And I've said this to you before, so you know I'm not, I think it's the best still life book ever written. You know, as far nice, as those, like content, uh, where you go with like the information that's there, the fact that you're kind of keeping it pretty open. It's not just one type of still life. You're really trying to hit on multiple levels of of the of the genre. Um, so, and I a mean, great how collection you... of paintings. Yeah, amazing. Particularly yeah, page 107. I'm just going to say 107. Yeah. <laughs> 102 is good, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're both in it. So, not. Nah, I... I appreciate the kind words. Yeah, you know, the, the interesting thing, Tony, is we had a discussion and we did two Ted before I um, before I even did the book. And or actually right when I got uh, the go for it was just uh, the need for it, you know, the, the need for this information, because I think, uh, you know, a lot of the content in it is very GCA uh, Water Street and it's just not really in in one book, you know. Yeah. So when I as a teacher, it's kind of like, when someone asks you a book to buy, I always had to kind of chop it into like, well, if you want light, go here. If you want color, go here. And a lot of them are like Ted Seth Jacobs books, or I think like Gurney did an awesome book on color. Yeah. yeah. But it's like James when it comes Gurney. to still life. Yeah, James Gurney. So when it comes to like still life, there was like not really anything that um, that came to mind. And then I even had to kind of research it because uh, that's part of the proposal to see like who who you're competing with and. And I was still kind of like, it's, it's, it's an open, open book there for, uh, you know, meaning, meaning there wasn't really something to even 
uh, um, compare it to because there wasn't something on the market. Uh, I know, I know there's like books and everything, but not the, what you were doing. So you're the way, the, the reason I like it is that you're presenting still life as you know, what it is, but you're also going, you're, you also go into the art of, of it, meaning how it's, how it's executed by different people. And, and obviously your, your way of executing it. Cause there's a, a fair amount of like, you know, your philosophy in the book on top of all, like you examining other people's philosophy of, yeah. Of, of you know, is everybody recording? Sorry to interrupt. Yes, sir. We oh, are. Do we each have to record? I thought we're just God, recording the recording? Zoom track. I yeah, I'm just, I just hit record. On, yeah. We're just trusting Tony, which is probably a bad idea. But yeah, that's a bad idea. Todd, at least Todd should be recording us. Yeah, make 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 me co-host. Tony, make, yeah. make, I don't trust you, Todd. I don't. <laughs> you have to earn it. <laughs> there we go. Can you try right, it now? I think every one of you can record now. Tony's such a power tripper. Damn can, right. All right, let's go. All right, should we get back to the back to the book, Todd? Yeah, back to, back to the back book. To, it's really uh, what I like is just that you're you're kind of breaking down the process into like all of the things that you have to consider when you're making a painting. And I think there's so much like so many technical decisions. It kind of reminds me of like when they talk about trying to build like a self-driving car and they talk about like all these decisions that we take for granted, like color decisions when you're painting or like trying to analyze the light and find the lightest like there's so many things that are so complex that particularly when you've been studying painting for years you kind of just take it for granted mm -hmm. and i think you you're it seems like you're sort of like backing all the way up to like the foundation and trying to get to every single piece to to kind of put together mm -hmm. the the picture from scratch yeah i mean you know it's funny because you guys, I think, have an animation background. I, I know Tony, you do. I think you do, funny, Ted, yeah. right? Ted, Ted, uh, Ted as well. Yeah, before so me. I do. So I do too. That's why it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what I did at the beginning of the book was like um, I storyboarded it. I kind of basically took oh, everything nice. and I put it on a on a couple uh, piece of like five or six piece of foam core, and then I was like, well, I can't just assume that somebody can start here. You know, I can't just say like, let's start painting a still life. Because some of the biggest questions are, what the hell do I paint? Mm -hmm. So I had to like start at the beginning. But of course, like you, like you were saying, is like the idea is what it doesn't matter which what way you paint. You have to tackle these kind of like six ideas, uh, and that was let me see if I can remember them. Uh, setting up kind of like what to paint, how to set up, um, composition. Once you have the all the things, lighting, uh, and then drawing color and then your idea of form now everybody has variations of that is that seven <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter we'll we'll edit in the right number <laughs> oh whatever no it was, yeah. it was it was six and a half it's six and a half but yeah so it's kind of like no matter who you are whatever whatever style you paint tony you were you were kind of commenting on this earlier it's like i it's not my job to tell anybody how what their painting should look like right so it's it's what I tried to do is put in some like Nikolai Fetchins, one of the first image images that you see is very, very loose. And then you go into like uh, super tight paintings. We have like Anthony Wachulis, who's considered more of like a trombloy painter yeah. and the gamut of kind of everything in the middle. And it peppers through the book, but also trying to historically hit 
you know, uh, older, uh, the dead painters and then the contemporary painters uh, to just give this kind of breadth of a lot of, uh, which is extremely difficult because once it gets into like finding all that, um, it's not like I can just say I want to have, you know, a fetching in there. I have I have to track it down. Um, and then that's like a whole uh, side project in itself. When you're using um, known paintings from from dead people, do you have to get permission for them to to put in the book? You do. There's a, you know, copyright is 70 years. So yeah. um, I think I can't remember the year that Fetchin passed, but I don't think he's 70 years. So you have to kind of track it down to either like. Like the um, estate or something like that. Estate or you have to find like that one. I think I got from Heritage Auction and Heritage Auction, I think, has the power because it's almost like the, the discussion ends up being like, well, and there was a case on uh, a Bridgman case uh, that was popular, I think, in 2002 or 2003, in which um, they were suing over, can you actually own the rights to a painting if it, it doesn't have a copyright? Or is it the image? Uh, is it the photograph? So Heritage Auction, I think, owned that photograph. So they mm. were able to kind of say yes to me to use it. So I had to get permission slip signed on everything, and you guys all signed them. Yeah. But like, would you the museums who own a painting? Do they own the rights to that image too? They own the key to the image, and you're asking for permission for the rights of their image, um, which is that's why they can say it's you know hundred dollars or free or yeah two fifty. It's when like um, uh, Art Res and um, the other one uh, that get involved and they kind of are the broker, and then they're like, we're gonna. We're going to be in behalf of the Met for like a Monet. Um, and then the only way to get the image is to contact us. So then you have to pay them. But then there's also Artist Rights Association, which is like you have to make sure that if it is in copyright, then you go through the proper channels. It's yeah. a it's a crazy. I mean, there's like 400 <laughs> images in the book. So, yeah, it's 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 a, it's, a, it's a, like I was saying, it's a thick it's like a legit jitly thick book and i know that when we talked about this when you first wrote this book i was like so what's your what's your background in writing and making books and you were like nothing <laughs> i was like so you're just no. gonna write a book and i thought it was gonna be like a thin book and then as you were telling me about it it was like oh wait this is gonna be a, like this yeah. is a big coffee table book yeah you know the the thing with the book is that um there was like an opening because Ken Salas had his book and then he was, uh, they were looking for a select painter. There was like a, a scenario that happened where they had somebody writing and then uh, the person wasn't going to do it anymore. And then Ken basically called me up and he's like, dude, uh, you know, Ken, he's like, do it, yeah. do it right now. Uh, go, <laughs> go put your proposal in. So and then I, he disappears. No, you're like, yeah. you go? Puff of smoke. Magic and Ken's, Ken, uh, Ken's a, a magician. Yeah. So, so Ken was like, you know, he calls me up and he's like, do it right now. Get it over to them. And I was like, I was like on the road to Boston, I think. And I was like, you mean like oh, an outline, okay. like an outline of what it's going to be or something. An outline and they want a sample chapter. So I, oh, wow. I'd never written anything uh, in, in college and high school. I always had to take extra English classes. because <laughs> That's like my worst uh, subject. To I'm more like Braun to write your papers. <laughs> did, did you, were you aware of how much work you were going to be putting in for this? No. And I was, I was so dumb. Uh, so, <laughs> so when I, when I called, I talked to uh, Victoria uh, Craven at Monticelli. She, she recently passed, but she was amazing. She was like, yeah, well, we can't wait to see, you know, what you, 
what you do. And I said, all right, so I'll get it to you on Monday. It was like Thursday. And she's like, that's a, that's a quick turnaround, <laughs> like a chapter and an outline. But that's also why I had to visualize it. I put it together on like storyboards. In a storyboard. So you're doing quick little like yeah. key shots to where the story is going. And in this case, where the book is going. Where were you doing animation, Todd? I actually, I went to grad school for it. I was going to do um, 3D animation. I was out there for like a, a day. I opened up Maya and I was like, yeah. I guess I'll do 2D animation instead. Because <laughs> uh, were you always drawing? Like, were you always a an artist? No, you know, I used to do. Um, I wanted to, you know, I I went to school as an illustrator, and I wanted to be uh, an illustrator, but it was hard to get work as an illustrator. I sucked because I was really slow, so I didn't <laughs> want to live with my parents forever. And I thought um, animation would be a, a better way to do it. And The Incredibles had just come out. I was like fascinated by how good it was. Yeah. Uh, the story was amazing. The character design was amazing. Yeah. Color, everything. So I I applied for the Academy of Art University in San Francisco. Um, I ended up taking like six months. They said, yeah, because they accept 100%. 100% of the applicants. And then I took, um, I think I took like six months to, to, to pull the trigger. And then... Um, I just went on Craigslist, I remember, and was like, there's an apartment in the middle of San Francisco, and it was 650 bucks, and I just got it, and I was like, I, I guess I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so I went out there, and I, I did a year of um, of grad school um, animation, uh, but it really helped with the way that I started to think about it, and I think um, when it came to uh, wa Water Street, um, that idea of like taking a character and kind of rotating it in space. I remember I was actually doing it and Jacob, uh, Jacob would come over and cause I'd take a cast and then I'd, I'd take a Collins. I'd take the, I'd take a cast and I'd rotate it. And I tried to do like, like a, a turnaround. Turn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he was like, that's cool. What you're doing. Like, I don't, I don't know if people weren't doing it, but I was kind of like trying to conceptualize it in that way. How did you wind up uh, at water street? Well, it's funny because the story actually will lead there. Um, I was actually doing maquettes there too. So you'd basically take a maquette mm -hmm. and rotate it, do the three quarter from your sketch, rotate it to the front uh, three quarter, do the side three quarter and then the back, right? So um, so I ended up having, like if you're in the, the animation department, you have to take foundation uh, classes. So you have to be able to draw. Mm -hmm. And uh, they sent me to uh, Warren Chang's class. And Warren had known Jacob back in the day, I guess, when they were in Brooklyn at Water Street. And um, he, he, he basically was like, yeah, if you go back to New York, because we would talk every day about like uh, illustrators and stuff. And um, he was like, oh, look up Max Ginsburg, Jacob Collins, Bert Silverman, kind of all the, all the big names, uh, still big names. Mm -hmm. And um, I just... I just took a break from it all and went home and saw my parents in Massachusetts <laughs> and it got, I was home, I think for like, I was going to be home for a month and a half. And after like a week of boring, just spending time with my parents. <laughs> so I went back down to New York and then I, um, I just kind of, you know, I think I started like looking up some of the names and just calling people. And, um, Jacob responded, Max responded. Um, a couple of them didn't Daniel green was like on that list. Uh, Harvey Dinner scene, yeah. you know, like a lot of like our students league old giants in New York. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but you were doing animation. So the idea of doing something that would be, you know, considered more of a classical approach to drawing, like, was that something you were doing in San Francisco or were you like, I just need a, something completely different. And I, or is that something you were kind of doing 
prior to going to college? You know, the thing with animation was I was trying to just see all the avenues art could take you and then how to make like a full-time job doing it because mm. I didn't want to live with my parents forever. Um, <laughs> Why not? Yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> I'll, I'll end up back there now that I have a, a kid and uh, we're married. Yeah. But um, yeah, so we ended up, I, you know, I ended up just kind of trying stuff out, but it's also, you know, in your 20s, so you try out a bunch of different things. And, um, you know, when I was at MassArt, I went to school in Boston at Massachusetts College of Art and Design, and um, I would I would always go to the MFA. And I, it's actually the story in the book, and uh, the Jerome painting there, Laminance yeah. Green, um, the Gray Eminence. The, they're all like kind of bowing down to the uh, the Gray Cardinal because he was the brains behind the the True Cardinal, right? So I remember I used to go in and see that painting all the time, but I was like, it almost felt like a candid camera. I know you guys still get that. I don't think the new kids <laughs> These know what that is. In case anybody's listening to this podcast who's under the age of like 400. <laughs> Which is like, you know, it's every TikTok video now. is just it was a, hitting camera stuff. But, you know. Exactly, yeah. It's punked. Yeah, it's punked. Yeah. And in case you're under the age of 35, <laughs> is a show. Yeah, exactly. And in case you're under the age of 25, MTV was a... <laughs> if you don't know what TikTok is. No, no but uh, so I would go in there all the time and I would study these, like they had um, Charles Barg. They have a gorgeous Barg there. They have uh, a Lord Layton. Oh, I love that Barg. Yeah. Tiny. Yeah, the Barg's gorgeous. Yeah, they're all, all the Bargs are amazing. So like, I just remember going in there and uh, what I was being taught at Bass Art at the time was just kind of like, how do we get there? Like, how do I get to the Jerome <laughs> from what you just taught me? You know, nothing was like really slow um, and and like thought out, like no sense of like a light. No one ever said like, you know, the light source is right there. Can you see it? <laughs> it's exactly, this is like the first thing we do in, the, in like Bar uh, Street or, or uh, GCA, so. So when it came time and, and I uh, emailed Jacob and he said, come in, I just remember walking through, um, that's been when he was up on the Upper East Side. Um, and it was like, you walk by 12 students all around um, a model. And uh, I just remember seeing every one of those paintings and every one of them was like a master. And uh, I was like, if I could even just be the worst one in here, I'd be happy. <laughs> but it was, it was what I wanted that was what I wanted to do all along was just kind of like, how do I paint like that? So that long search to kind of get around to it, I love because it's peppered its way into all my work and I wouldn't do it any other way, but uh, it, I think it made that journey to get there that much more sweeter. Uh, and so when I saw it, I was like, you know, once I went and did a cast drawing, I saw the connection to uh, Jerome. And then it was like, Jacob talked about Jerome and, and the, uh, the Barg book was out and it was like all this connection to the things I, I wanted, but it was such a long, long ass way to get there. Yeah. <laughs> but at that point, that means, was there a, well, now I'm going to have to dedicate the time to this, which means, you know, logistically moving to New York and being in New York and then being there for five days, five days out of the week and for a certain amount of time. So was it yeah. another big decision to be like, I, you know, I just, I was just in San Francisco and now I'm doing this. Well, I had moved to New York prior and I swore I was never going to move back. So I, in 2002, after I went to undergrad, I moved a year after to New York and I was a waiter at the plaza. Um, I eventually landed a job at Ralph Lauren in the art department. 
uh, which uh, that's kind of like why I was like, well, I know I don't want to do this. The corporate world kind of sucks. Ralph Lauren peppers its way back in and out of my uh, whole story because I I worked there on and off for at least 10 years. Um, I took time off from GCA to go work there for a year. And then after GCA, um, I went back and freelanced for them. And then I did full time and then left. Um, so I had moved to New York and then I moved to San Francisco. And then to go back to New York, it was kind of like, okay, I could go back. But once I saw that, like, you know, everything was there in the art world, like all these people that, you know, there's another like sub story where I did this big, massive road trip to get my stuff back in San Francisco. And I stopped at, um, I think it was like 10 or 12 different artist studios uh, that were animators. I forget the guy's name, Eric something. He was one of the guys who worked on like the Star Wars concept. We saw Warren Chang's studio. We saw Sid Mead. Oh, wow. Sid Mead, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. So like Sid Mead, um, uh, Thomas Fluharty. So a lot of uh, uh, illustrators, uh, Gary Kelly. Um, so like we had done this big, massive trip. And on that trip, all these artists were mentioning those same artist names, kind of like if illustration is only going to take you here, but if you want to get good at drawing and painting, you have to go to the, these guys that were doing it, you know? And, um, that's when I went back and, and, you know, looked them all up and, um, the ones that responded, I just sat down and talked to them. You know, Jacob's story is funny because Jacob, uh, I felt like I got kicked in the nuts. I, I could tell this story. I think it's a funny one. Yeah, go ahead. Let's hear it. So, so that time when I walked through and I saw everybody was there, um, I, this is like Josh Rock was there at the time. And I think he Soong and uh, Jeremy and uh, uh, a bunch of, a bunch of all-stars now. So, so we walked through and I looked over and I was like, holy crap, they're all good. I could be the shittiest one here and I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. So then we went back into you know, into the, uh, the wizard's lair behind the curtain oh, and I had, he had this huge studio behind the studio yeah. where all the students worked. I remember he answered the, uh, the door too. And he had that Pepsi hat on cause he was doing all those commissions for, I think, uh, the CEO. <laughs> so when so the, uh, we got to the, his studio in the back and, um, he was like, you know, uh, sh- show me your drawings that you have. And I showed him all these like, you know, quick, um, quick drawings, animation like drawings, drawings kind of gesture drawings. Yeah. I mean, they're all for animation. So it's like a yeah. 20 minute pose. It's like, felt like, five days you know yeah. yeah so all this like really quick work and i remember i was like you know hopefully he'll be impressed and let me in and he was like eh. <laughs> <laughs> so he basically was like look if you're interested in doing this he's like you know not that impressive your portfolio i think he was like honest about it too but he was like if you are interested i suggest going to uh grand central uh which was different at the time as you guys know water street and uh, grand central were two things and then they merged into one oh, before the yeah. merger yeah yeah so he was like if you're interested go to the grand central there's two of my former students there nicholas hiltner and uh kimmy davis kimmy salas now and um do cast drawing with them so nick was doing saturdays or i could do uh kimmy was doing like monday through friday and being super cheap i was like well i'll do the uh the five days for the same price. Uh, <laughs> like this Kim, one's is a bargain. Yeah. Holy crap. And then I was like, now I got to go five days. So Maybe you, weren't, you, were, you weren't frustrated by this mediocre review. There was just- definitely a part of me that was like, uh, who is this guy? Like, <laughs> but, but the other part of me was like, I want to see how he sees, like, what, why is he just like brushing it off? Uh, it wasn't that great. It was just like, 
it was a lot of years of like trying to get to quick gestural stuff, but he doesn't look, he, he's not looking for like good gestural stuff. He's looking more, you know, uh, accuracy of uh, anatomy and stuff like that. So I think it's a, just a different, different thing. So I, I was like, my ego was maybe fractured a little bit, but the other part was like, I knew I wasn't the wow factor. I just kind of walked through. Uh, but I also wanted to see what he was saying I should be able to see. So um, begrudgingly, maybe I went and <laughs> I, I did the thing. And um, I just remember walking in there. You know, I always tell this story because uh, it's hilarious. It's almost like the old adventures uh, where like in Star Wars, uh, you, you're going on your voyage and all of a sudden you go to the cantina and there's like monsters everywhere. So, of course, like Bob Silverman. Six six is like the first one I saw. He like greets me at the door and he's like, "Hey, come in." <laughs> and and I was like, you know, so so how long does it take for you guys to do this? And he was like, three months. And I was like, three months to do like one drawing? We do it animation in you know twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah. So there was there was definitely something uh, where I was kind of like, well, I need to like definitely leave my ego at the door if I'm going to be able to kind of learn this. And um, and that's exactly what I did. Cammy was like the perfect, you know, like motherly uh, person to come through and uh, slow me down, you know, calm down, Todd, uh, slow down, you know, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and it was great. And, and I, I was basically just like, just tell me how slow I need to go because I, I want to like render uh, the whole, I think I did an ear. So after three months, um, she read a rec- wrote a recommendation letter. Uh, after I paid her really well, um, that's a joke. Uh, <laughs> uh, but so she wrote, she a, wrote a letter to for in your behalf to Jacob. Yeah, to, okay. Because she had worked with me and saw that I was really trying to get it. But also get in into that, his studio or to go to GCA. Uh, G, uh, Water Water Street. Um, so his studio and yeah. I, at the time too, it was so much cheaper. And being a cheap guy, I was like, uh, I'll take I'll take Water Street. I didn't know. Um, but you have but any was, coupons? Yeah. <laughs> it like buy two months, get one free. <laughs> but um, at the were time, you, were, were also, you working at this time? Because I know Jacob was up on the Upper East Side, and and Ralph Lauren was on the Upper East Side. At least that's what I yeah. remember. That's where you're working. So did that kind of yeah. work out, like schedule wise? Yeah, I actually, um, actually, yes and no. I walked up there on one of my breaks to do the interview. Um, but he was like a 10 minute walk. He's past like Hunter college and they're yeah. right by, um, uh, by the plaza. So, um, but no, a- after basically what happened on the second interview was he was, he still kind of like looked at the cast drawing. You was like, again. Eh. Yeah. <laughs> eh. And, and again, that was your first cast drawing and there's an yeah. art to doing the cast, you know, it's like oh, at yeah. the GCA, it's not like you do one cast and you move on. You do several, you know, you yeah. do a lot of them. Oh, and I, and I know I didn't know what I was doing. I, I didn't. I know I didn't know what I know now, which I got uh, in like the fourth cast when it just started to kind of click. So like I was even doing one at home and I brought that and it was so bad. Um, I don't even know what I was trying to, to do with form. It was like, uh, it's silly. I think I burnt it. But <laughs> were so, you drunk when you burned it? Or <laughs> probably. Like a sad burning or... <laughs> an effigy <laughs> so so i remember going back that last time and it was like it was like the longest interview of the second interview and it was one of those things where you're in the middle going oh fuck 
he's going to reject me. <laughs> That's how I felt. Um, Cause he kept like going over to his computer and like smacking the mouse around him and, and then being like, <sighs> and then he'd walk over to the portfolio and look at it and go, <sighs> you know, and then like go back and forth and who did you know again? Who are these, you know? And then I just, I think at one point I just said like, look, I, I really want to learn this thing. I, I've, I've been able to kind of see into it now. And, and this is definitely the direction I'm kind of looking for a long time. And then I think it was just like a long, like, uh... <laughs> oh no, he said, how old are you? And I said, I think it was 27 or 28. He said, you're too old. Yeah, you're old. It was like, uh, show up on Monday with a paper and a pencil. <laughs> and and I was kind of like, what did you say? And he, and it was like, so he he was like, show up on Monday. I think Nick Hiltner was uh, leaving, and there was a spot. There was two spots, and this other guy from, um, I forget what island it was, Guam, uh, was mm. starting. He was only there for a week, but the two of us started. Um, I was there in two thousand seven um, to two thousand nine, and then I took a year mm. off to go work at Polo um, just to make some cash. And then came, I was doing night classes with Cami, uh, doing cast painting. And then I went back one more year. Um, and then I painted with like Travis and, you know, I painted with you guys. So I, I learned a ton from all you guys. That's why when you give me props, it's like, I'm just, I feel like I just took good notes. <laughs> Should have put uh, Min off, you know, <laughs> her and I. Very good. And so, uh, I mean, at that point you were just like, well, now are you going to embark on on being a fine artist. Cause again, I know this is all going to come back to the book, but were you just like, all right, I'm going to start making paintings and selling them in galleries. Or were you going to like take the knowledge that you learned from water street and, you know, go back into animation or, or, or go into illustration or something like that. I think I knew animation wasn't for me. Um, it, it definitely had a love for it, but I had to try all these things out to see if I wanted to do them. And, you know, the thing about um, animation was I love 2D animation. And yeah. a lot of, as, as you guys know, it's probably one of the reasons why you got out of it. All the keyframing and all that stuff is all done here. But a lot of the uh, concept work was done in like Korea or that was the thing. It's like either I was going to stay in California and work at Pixar and DreamWorks, hopefully, right? And they only have like, right. what? 10 animators uh, or yeah. 10 concept uh, pre, pre-development uh, artists out there. And then after that, it's like you work for three to six months and then you find a new gig and it could take you a couple of years. So, so I was either going to work in, you know, somewhere in California or come back here and then, you know, trying to plan ahead. And now that I was like older going back and doing an MFA uh, or come back and do Blue Sky, which is really the only one that was in Westchester yeah. Um, at the, the times yeah or you could do the the ones like nickelodeon i think you guys work for was it mtv um, yeah we were we jumped around a bunch kind of pre pre water street days but um i know ted had his you know his own company his own animation company and i jumped around from mtv and i did a bunch of the um you know under the umbrella of viacom that owned all those ones and then i went mm-hmm. ended up over at jumbo which became disney and mm. I was doing a lot of concept art for them outside of doing things like working on shows like Doug and a bunch of other like sort of TV stuff. I started doing like movie concept stuff. Well, it's like once you start to see the way it's it uh, it functions too, and where I would have fallen into it, I was like, I love it as an art form, but I don't think I want to be a part of it. And I still continue to draw all the time and and do character designs and stuff like that. So, um, but once the 
once the painting bug came in, it's kind of like you're, like you said, you're, you're, you're uh, the independent director, creator, you're, whatever you're everybody, you you're the do. whole team yeah. in one. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I didn't like about animation was I was gonna, I was gonna do lighting, or I was gonna do, um, you know, wireframes, or, um, you know, skinning, whatever. Yeah. It is, if you're gonna do 3D road. And I have friends that kept going and one of my good buddies, so uh, he works at Disney now and he does Frozen and all these things, but, um, you know, we just took a different path. So, so once I knew that, that's when, you know, um, this idea of like, you, you could then take all that, you know, and start to put it into your stories is where I, I, what I took away from all of it. Now I had also gone to the illustration Academy too and studied with a lot of big time illustrators, uh, like, um, Mark English at the Illustration yeah. Academy, um, Gary Kelly, uh, CF Payne. I don't know if you know these guys. Yeah, yeah, sure. They're all great. I mean, they were all huge when when Anita I was. Kuntz. It, yeah, when I was studying illustration. Yeah, Anita Koontz. Um, who else? Um, not like I'm trying to name drop, but yeah, they basically yeah. did this collective thing in the summertime. And um, so it, it was kind of like, that's what the road trip did. It was like you hit all these different professions and then you're trying to take a little piece of all of them and go like, well, which one, which one's for me, but it doesn't mean one of them have to be for you. You, you find your own road. So were you, you doing were already painting still lives like and selling still lives? What, what, how did like, how did you make the transition from like Jerome and Barg and, you know, kind of figure figure work to still life and, and kind of what motivated that? Yeah, well, you guys know, and your question is like, you know, GCA Water Street, we, we focus on the figure and portrait. That's what yeah. we do in there. So a lot of people ask me how many still life paintings I did at GCA Water Street. No, <laughs> of like none. Um, Tony had just started, I think, to do it in 2010 or 11. Uh, am I right? Yeah. That you kind like of that, brought yeah. in a little bit. Um, yeah, I started coming in there and being like, ah, there's this is what's missing from the program. We need to like yeah. focus in on this because, you know, I, I, there's so many benefits to doing it, meaning practice, just learning a process, like getting it yeah. in and it's relatively cheap. You don't have to hire a model, but you can still work from life and you can also the diversity work on all of like stuff, materials you know? and colors. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. it's just, it, there's so many tools to be learned and mastered that you can then take to anything, whether it's like exactly. a yeah. figure. And of course, every, figure landscape, they have their own disciplines that you really got to focus in on, but the tools that you can learn from still life can really translate beautifully into. Like I remember um, at Water Street looking at a painting, a still life painting that Kate Lehman did uh, just kind of on her own. I think it was like maybe like five crab apples lined up uh, against a white wall. And each one was like, you know, crab apples, they're all like, they lean to one side yeah. or they're, they're all like asymmetrical and weird. And it, it looks like a police lineup to me. And there was so much character and it was like a domier, like, you know, that one of those like walls of domier sculptures where it's just yeah. like yeah. caricature after caricature. It just, it was, it was like, I could look at that painting all day and, and find like almost anthropomorphize every single crab apple and, and have like a narrative behind everyone. Like it felt, yeah. and in that moment, it, it, it sort of occurred to me that still life could be like this whole, like there's just this open opportunity to do narrative painting through yeah. still life, just yeah. you're imagining like, 
you know, danger and drama and, you know, all sorts of things in, you know, could be just as, you know, simple as, as a bunch of fruit, but like yep. you see so much more in it when you're setting it up and particularly when you're spending like 2000 hours <laughs> painting it, you see everything. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think, um, you know, I wish, uh, Tony, I think you were just starting to do it now that I remember it when I was there and I would peek in the room at night and, uh, you know, cause you were in like the third studio and I'd be like, cause I think you'd leave it up for a week and then you'd go in and look in and be like, I want some of this. Yeah. And Danny was trying to do still have Danny Grant over in the, um, the figure room, but he had one box and he was the only one. And I remember someone stole his coins one time. Do you remember? Any oh, of that? I remember that. That was a whole yeah. controversy. Yeah. No, not only that, but then there was. And other... then somebody was eating somebody's. Sam yeah. Hung's like Sam, still yeah. life. There's like, he had these like animal crackers on a setup and somebody in the night class was eating his animal crackers. It was like pathological. And, yeah. But then we actually, I was like, all right, I'm going to give, I'm going to just, you know, give benefit of the doubt. But I put a sign said, do not touch the still life. Do not eat the crackers. And the yeah. next day he started eating the crackers again. Somebody I was like, all right, you're out. out. <laughs> it was crazy. Wow. Did yeah. So find, did you find who did it? Yo, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I, 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 we kicked him out. I was just like, you can't, if, you, if you're, if you're, like if you're that clueless, then this is probably not the place for you. He's, he was pissed yeah. about it. It wasn't like, you know, I got some good money for those. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> So like, you know, uh, Danny was doing it and I was friends with Danny and I think it was kind of because Jose, Jose Jimenez, do you remember Jose? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Jose and I would stay after sometimes with Danny at Water Street and we would just do still lives. And I sucked at them. Uh, I still have a couple just to remind myself how far I've come, but um, <laughs> just trying to like knock a couple apples out, I you know, stuff like that in like a, a short amount of time. So go fast, go slow. You know, that Michelangelo quote, I think, um, uh, what's his name? He used to say it all the time when we used to sculpt with him. Uh, Shay? Not Shay. Um, the one, he actually came from the Academy of Art and he would fly up from Florida. Um, I forget his name. Oh, Perkins. Steve Perkins. Steven Perkins, Steve, yeah. yeah. Oh my God, course, he's amazing. Yeah, yeah so I took I took sculpture and that was one of the beautiful things that you said, uh, you guys are saying like sculpting at the same time as you're painting and then you, it starts to kind of come together. So, uh, but what Perkins- Michelangelo quote? Yeah, the Michelangelo quote by Perkins was to do a um, uh, to do a whole lot of finishes. Uh, you need to do a whole lot of starts. Mm -hmm. yeah. So get really good at like the beginning too, and then uh, you know, so trying to like knock something out quick, and then learn how to go slow, and that's kind of because I also painted with Max Ginsburg, so I was trying to do what Max was doing, a la prima mm -hmm. approach, yeah, which is fast, then, you know. Yeah. And then Jacob uh, Collins is a little more slower, but he can do fast too. So we would do like the portrait sketches on Wednesday for five hours uh, to try to knock it out. And I remember I was so intimidated watching like LaRock crank out these little beauties and bring them down to Paul Toner. After. <laughs> Paul Toner. Oh, that was the best. Paul was yeah. the godsend for art students. Yeah. The art student showcase was his gallery. It was, down, it was a gallery down in, in Soho, Soho that he would just sell student artwork and people i mean that was i was a really my cool time because people would buy yeah. them people would yeah. come and just buy them and they weren't expensive but people were excited like just to come and buy these and but if it cost like you know a few hundred bucks a month to study which is what it did back then yep. you you'd pay every month like you do a painting and you'd sell it and yep. you'd have that month covered yeah, yeah. like yeah. that's what jose was, was doing great. yeah so jose was doing it and um <laughs> 
so back to your question, Tony, about like, how was I doing like, you know, polo and stuff? I actually quit polo. I was doing some freelance stuff on the side for them, but I was a waiter and I worked with um, Josh Fishbein down in the West Village at uh, <laughs> St. Ambrose. Do you guys know the restaurant? I know that place. Yeah, of uh, course. They got a Hamptons place. Yep. Yeah. Upper East is one. Yeah. So, so I would work there like three or four nights uh, till sometimes two in the morning. And then go back in Water Street. Jacob wanted you there, I think, 8.30 to 5. So yeah. just grinding it back out. And I just remember being so broke, <laughs> you know, because um, the rent side of it, to pay your rent. I was living in Astoria. Uh, it just, it got to me. And that's why in 2009, I took a year off to, to get some cash and go back and uh, be able to live a little fatter. Finish <laughs> <laughs> the coffers. What made you, I mean, was it something that you're like, all right, here's this thing, or did you start just enjoying it? And if you did, like, what, what about it was making you sort of, all right, this is something I think I'm into and I didn't maybe realize it. Yeah. You know, all my, all my answers come with a story. So I had taken, um, I had taken a workshop with, uh, Doug Flint and, uh, Carlos Madrid was in there and I was next to Carlos and Carlos and I uh, just chatted on the breaks and he was in New York and I was fascinated because Carlos studied with like um, Odd Nerdrum. He studied in Jerusalem for like five or 10 years. He studied with Jacob. He studied at Florence Academy. So we had just done this tour around the world and knew Odd Nerdrum and talked about him all, all these awesome stories. And um, so basically I, I actually uh, ran into him on a subway. You don't ever do this in New York, like see somebody. And if you do, you're like, I kind of know that person. I'll say hi. So he was getting off a subway and I was getting on. I think it was our students league because he lived right by there. And um, he said, uh, hey, come by and see my studio. And when I went there uh, to see a studio, like a couple weeks later, I think I emailed him. Um, he had, he was a still life painter. And I remember seeing his beautiful still lifes and just thinking like, this is gorgeous. So he did, he needed help with Photoshop, which is why, I, you know, I knew it from my uh, polo days. So he's like, if you can help me with Photoshop, I'll um, help you with this over here. So running into Carlos kind of uh, serendipitously, I think was got me into this, like, well, I'm going to do color theory. And then I started to take some of the strings that I was doing with him. Cause his is based off of Michael Aviano's Hue value chroma. Cause Aviano was tied back to um, Riley. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He was Riley's monitor. So he took Riley's system and then he kind of adjusted it. And then a lot of, um, like John DeMartin study with them. And I think Jacob did a little bit, uh, but a lot of New York artists went through uh, Michael because he actually had a studio, I think in the seventies too. So, so Carlos also had studied with him and he was showing me the wheel to then take the color strings. The color them. wheel. Yeah. Right. yeah. And then I started to uh, do still life paintings. And I just remember when I got to like the yellow string, we started red, we did orange and then we were down in yellow. Uh, I did a, I did a lemons painting. And I just was so excited because I was like, I got it. I got it. And I showed him. And he's like, dog, man, your painting looks like shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I was kind of like excited to start start to put it together. But I was like, I still have a lot of work to do. And yeah. so he, he worked with me a little bit on still life. And then from there, uh, like you said, uh, you know, Tony, uh, well, you both were doing beautiful still lives. And I still look at your work all the time, both of your work. Oh, stop it. So he came over and I think we worked together a couple of times, but he was just kind of enough to push me, uh, you know, into the deep end, but not feel like uh, it was 
totally jumping in. Yeah. And then from there, it was like I was back at Polo, I think, full time during the day. And then the only thing I could do at night, if I wanted to get a, a model, it would have been strange, like tell my wife to go to bed and then I'm going to have a random <laughs> naked person or portrait till like one or two in the morning. So I'm more of a night owl anyway, and I'm usually up to like two. Uh, so I just was like, well, let me work on the fundamentals. Like my lemons look like shit and, <laughs> you know, I need to learn the the basics of how to render everything. Like I never set out to be a still eye painter, but um, I love it. Like after that, I was just, I guess I'm a still eye painter and you start to be known as one, whether or not you tried to or not. And uh, when it came time for Victoria to see the proposal, she was like, yeah, we've won a bunch of awards and blah, blah, blah. So I think it was, and my writing, I guess, was okay. I think my wife probably edited it because <laughs> her mom's a writer. So, But again, like going back to the book now, in a way, you're breaking down each chapter the way we break down the process of making a painting. Right. I thought that was just like, yeah. I haven't seen that before, really, in a book pro you know, prior to this one. Well, it, you know, I, I give you guys all credit for, uh, and and that's why at the beginning of the book, I put the Newton quote on there. I, I stand on uh, all the giants that have come before me, and therefore I can see further. It, you know, it's not like this is all my information. You know, a lot of this is all the all the teachers of uh, everybody. It's Max, it's Jacob, it's uh, Carlos, it's you, uh, both of you guys, it's Travis, uh, even though Travis doesn't always say much. Uh, but I, but I worked with Travis a lot in his studio and, uh, you I were at so much. the studio there, which was Tony's old studio. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw Tony there a couple of times and Sam was there and I was like, how do I get this awesome? <laughs> but Kev, Kevin and I were doing a bunch with Travis where we do like a week and then we'd, um, paint with them. Um, and I just learned so much, uh, just from talking to him too. Evan Wiesty. Yeah. Wiesty. Yeah. Wiesty. Yeah, Kevin's awesome. Um, yeah, but Kevin also like study with uh, Tony Ryder, so we were out. We were able to kind of go out there and study with Tony too for a couple weeks and pick his brain. And we're out in New Mexico. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, and, um, and Celeste. So like, you know, it was the reason. The reason why these some of these people were in the book were just uh, running into them and being like, "How is the world not seeing your beautiful still life paintings?" Like Celeste Ryder. Tony's wife, gorgeous painter. Yeah. Uh, like where, how come nobody has seen these? And John Rieger was another one that was out there. Uh, I was like, you guys are like buried, like put your work out. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, you know, I, I tried to, you know, there's a lot of people that still, I wish should have been in the book. Um, I wish I could have made uh, three times the size of it, but actually uh, when we were writing the proposal for the book, I got, they said yes to a 200 and I think it was eight page book and that page is 304. So, Oh, wow. Um, I gave way too many pages and they trimmed the fat as much as they could. We cut a chapter and they said, it's just uh it's, it's going to be a good book and it's going to be beautiful. And we're just going to make it a hundred pages more. And I was like, and when they, and when you did it, you know, back to the, the, um, the storyboarding of it, when you presented it, were they like, yeah, this makes sense? Did they did it make sense to the the publisher? Or were they like, uh, we want it to be this? Or were they like, you have, you know, it's it, you figure it out. I think, you know, the biggest concern they had because the the person who had put in um a book before perhaps was a bit too philosophical uh with what uh the person had 
uh, given them. So that's the one thing she said to me, which is just um, don't make it philosophical. And I tried to stay out of it because I don't try to get philosophical in teaching. I don't, I remember when we went to, well, I used to go in the back with uh, you know, in the back video and say like, you know, give me the philosophical side. And he was like, I don't, I stay away from that, you know? And I get why he does. So I try to stay away from it too. Funny though, because I feel like, uh, I mean, Jacob in particular, you know, his, his father is a philosophy professor yep. and he like, it's laced into everything he talks about. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't think he ever sets out to like, you know, talk philosophy with anybody, but he also can't help it. It's it's just, it's like yeah. the foundation of everything he says all comes back to that. And it's like, it was never about like the arms too long or maybe you should make this darker or it, it was all about ideas. And yeah. that, I mean, it is, ultimately it, it does come down to philosophy. I, di- I think it's inevitable that it will come out. Um, and I know, I know, Ard- well, I knew Artie um, I used to work with him. Uh, I used to go and help his parents fix their computers and his dad would sit down and I helped him do his blog. Uh, <laughs> I forget what are the, what are the ones solopsism or something like that. And I was like, I don't even know what that is, uh, <laughs> but I helped him like uh, get his blog up and running. And uh, yeah, it's inevitable. And Jacob, it, you hear it all the time yeah, it, yeah. as much as he says no. But, um, but one of the things I tried to keep out of the book was like whispers of it. You know, if I'm going to put it in, it's going to be in in the quotes that I'm going to put in there. Right. Something like the uh, Howard Pyle, um, throw your heart into the picture and then jump in after it or Charles Hawthorne. Actually, I wish I could put the Travis Schlock quote in there, which is hilarious. Great. Yeah. Yeah. um, Which one? um, Yeah. yeah, Paint a picture you'd want to hang on your wall because it's probably going to end up there anyway. <laughs> so that's such a good yeah. quote. Yeah. You should so, put that one back. Uh, maybe they don't do that anymore on Instagram, but... He, I think he did have it there for a while. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, so like, you know, my um, my my philosoph- philosophical side comes from that, but I that's where I try to stay out of, like, seeing what's good or bad, just show, like, a, a collection of good still life paintings mm-hmm. and then let the audience gravitate towards... Uh, different schools. So, you know, Wachulis is in there because he has a school too and he's super tight. And then there's a, a, you know, Sam Hung's in there. You guys are both in there. But then I wanted to get like Jeff Larson in there because he's also like the Boston school lineage. Um, mm-hmm. I think Warren was in there because he's more like California painter tied to Max. Max is in there. Max's dad's in there. Sadie Valeri's in there. Kate Lehman, of course. Uh, Travis. How, what was the run that they were originally gonna put out like it was there like oh we're just gonna do a certain amount and then yeah. probably call it or or were they like eh, if it does well we'll, we'll it's do hard more. to say well we did three thousand that first one i don't think they were expecting much i think they just wanted to hit a niche which was you know like uh we want a still life book maybe there was another publisher out there that was uh doing one um and then after that, it sold out. You know, I think the coronavirus kind of uh, amplified because it came out right at that time. And then people were buying books again and uh, buying everything. <laughs> buying Stuck houses. at home. I might as well learn how to paint. Yeah. Um, so that sold out, I think, super quick. I think it was like wow. six months. And Victoria was like, holy crap. It's amazing. That's awesome. Congratulations, so the, Todd. Thanks. So they did a second run, I think, of two or 3,000. That sold out. So now they're on the third I think that's about to sell out. 
these, this is the type of book that should be at every museum store, you know, and you go to the Met or something and it's in the museum, like it should be there because it really breaks down something that all museums have still life paintings. And, you know, um, that one, one reason is it shows contemporary still life, which I think is incredibly important. Like the fact, again, like you said earlier, you're, you were mixing old paintings, like, you know, dead artists and living artists. And mm -hmm. that's one thing I know we all sort of talk about is like the museums having living artists in it. Like we should be cele celebrating people who are painting now. Yep. So, but also again, it's like, it's not an instruction book, but if you know a little something, you can look at it as an instruction book that can then lead its way into inspirational book. So uh, even though we weren't talking about the philosophy of, uh, you know, not trying to put in, like when I read the book, I'm like, it's, it's filled with philosophical ideas in between the lines. Yeah. In between the lines is for sure. And Which there's definitely, yeah. I think I can't remember if I quoted like Rumi, but there's a lot of like, uh, like poetic um, ways of bringing things in to uh, reiterate a point. So, yeah, I'm glad that came across. Glad yeah. Got that. Yeah. yeah. I, one of my favorite spreads is actually uh, yours, Tony. They put you next to William Arnett, which is the way that I, um, I wanted it. Yeah, and I was pretty it, excited about that. <laughs> yeah, it's super awesome. cool because it's like it's similar setup, which is why I put them there. Um, but that's the other thing is like to not just write the book, but to put the images into support, which is extremely difficult. Um, but that one came out really good. Well, you know, you can have a great book with good information and it not look good. Um, this is a great book with great information and it looks really good. It's like a coffee table book too. Now that again, this is your first book, but it's not your only book. You're, uh, you're, you're, well, you're, you're working on another one, right? Yeah. Is it done? Yeah. This, Can you talk this about book, it? Yeah. Yeah. This book's taken forever. Um, yeah, no, well, you're both in the second book too. Um, as long as you're nice and I don't cut you. Um, <laughs> Jay Brown. Yeah. Yeah. No. So the, the other book is called, um, the color, uh, the, the oil painters color handbook. And I don't pick the names of these things. Um, just like I didn't really pick the artist still life. I think I just was like, you can call it still life or something. Uh, so the publishing company comes in and they're like, let's make it a little more sexy or like, let's call it, this. are you okay with this? And then we go back and forth on that. So they wanted to call the, I, I wanted to call it the principles of color, uh, you know, just like the basics that you should know and understand. And they said, let's call it the oil painters color handbook. I was like, all right, doesn't matter to me. Yeah. Now there's there's a book called The Principles of Color already by Faber Baron. I don't know if you're familiar with him, color am, theorists. Man. Yeah. So I, I get why uh, they they probably didn't want to do that. The new book tackles. Um, I think it's going to be about the same size. Um, That's the uh, the the art the art of still life. Yeah. Wow. About three three hundred and four pages, I think, or three twenty, is where we ended on that one. So. Again, you know, when I start with these, I always have to storyboard them. And it's like, what are the what are the things that the audience wants to know? What are the most common things that we get questions, right? And that's actually where a lot of these books come from. It comes from like teaching a lot. And then you hear them and you're like, people want to know about light. They want to know about composition. They want to know, know about drawing. Just like you said, if you can compartmentalize them and put them into one chapter, they can read that one chapter. But it's also the way in which Jacob was teaching it to us, which is just wear a different hat for each little uh, little one, and you'll be able to master each one to add them up into a, a beautiful painting. So 
for for color, it's a, a bit more difficult because you know there there are books that are catered to like color mixing. Mm-hmm. So to start, um, I called up Doug Doug Flint Douglas Flint because uh, he's he's like the I don't, I don't know the color nerd. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's right up there with like you know um, Graydon with like the the two people that I know that are like uh, super geeky about it nerd in a good way. Yeah, in a very um, good way. Yeah. He also loves light. So I call him the principal of light. Uh, <laughs> if I ever have a light question, I usually call him. And it's interesting. Doug and I, um, we talked a lot. So I give him a lot of credit for the book. We talked, I think, weekly uh, as I was putting it together. So I, I had the framework of it, and then I would have him uh, read it and then give feedback a lot. So that's actually what I did with The Arts of Life, too. A lot of people read that. Um, and then the editor got his hands on it, and uh, we made it. We refined it. The color book is going to be about, um, you know, the three most common things I think that we have to tackle when it comes to color is um, light, uh, perception, and color mixing. Those are the three big uh, parts of uh, when we talk about color, and they don't always overlap. So that's kind of like the, uh, the, the goal of the book is to break these three things down, uh, but put them into simple terms so that we can then kind of, you know, break them down simply and then build them up towards like, how do you use them uh, when doing a painting? There's no like step-by-step by the end of it. But in addition to that, I also put um, pigments in the book because I think oh, pigment, wow. yeah. how to read a paint label, stuff like that. It's like, you can't not know about that stuff. You can't just buy a tube of paint and it says sleeping beauty on it. <laughs> and, then, and then you know what you're going to know what the hell it is. So understanding what the color index name, the CIN is, uh, name number. Um, and then from there, like what's um, uh, a convenience mixture, you know, which are just multi uh, pigments in one tube. In one tube, yeah. Like when you go to the art store and you see the wall of paint, most of the paint is just, you know, mixing, mi- mix mixtures of some of the basic colors that are on that same wall. And it's a marketing, um, yeah, or convenience, you know, yeah. It, yeah, it definitely is for convenience, but also, you know, th- there's there's a lot to dig into, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> when you yeah, start yeah. talking about it, yeah. so there's that. Then there's also palettes. Like, you know, I'm always fascinated because we don't all have the same palettes. We all paint with a different set of colors. So I start in one of the chapters with all the way back to um, what was it, uh, Da Vinci? Even though it's hard to pinpoint a, a palette for him but what are the what are the oldest high renaissance and then baroque color palettes and then we'll work our way all through the impressionists the french academics the impressionists into where we are today because that kind of trickles its way into uh what people use so you know some people use it because their teacher gave it to them some people use it because there's a new color at the store you know sleeping beauty or whatever it is <laughs> maybe they've watched sleeping beauty <laughs> but um you know, sometimes it's because they want to hit a color note all the time. Uh, but you could also simplify it too and do something like a Zorn palette. So then I go into like what the Zorn palette is and the real Zorn palette, not the Zorn palette that people say is the Zorn palette, mm-hmm. yeah, right? Yeah. Like True vermilion, uh, flake white or lead white, uh, yellow ochre, and then uh, ivory black. So it's kind of like a just a ton of information, but it should help to set the record straight on a lot of these things. So yeah. is writing this book, was it much, was it totally different than writing the art of still life? Because I'm assuming like I, I teach color, 
And I would be like, if this was something I was going to, an endeavor I was going to do, I was like, man, would I have to be researching everything? Cause there's certain facts in this that I would have to be like, I don't want to yeah. get called out on this. So I can imagine this book exactly. is way harder. Oh man, exactly. That's what Doug was. And Doug was kind of like, he was the next step is that it was going to go to him. And then he was the fact checker uh, because he's Doug and that's what Doug loves to do. <laughs> so then we go back and uh, you know, one of the things I'm doing in this book too, is I'm, I'm giving that, I'm giving a color wheel similar to what Michael Aviano was teaching, mm -hmm. which is just how to make an 18. He, Michael Aviano did a 24 step color. wheel. I do an 18. Uh, I simplified a little bit more. And then from there, how to make a light and dark version of every color. So I think of like navigating color space as like a subway map, three dimensional thinking in any way when you're mm -hmm. teaching form or color is like hue value chroma, um, you know, if, if you plot each one as hue, then value, then chroma, you may get it. But if you think of it in color space and moving through it, like a, a sphere or yeah. a color color solid, as um, Albert Munsell would call it, you know, that's a, that's a different uh, way of thinking about it. Did you have to, in this book, say, okay, even though you might look at it more of a Munsell way, like here's all the other systems that, yeah. you know, might not be quite as convenient or as uh uh you know good for me but i gotta put them in there yeah to, to preface before all this i know i'm gonna get blasted by somebody uh, <laughs> who works in some color space that's like no um john you know, pantone is gonna call is you there like a color thread <laughs> there probably is there's so many like when it comes to color too it's like if the book does well it should do really well uh because color is something that just transcends like gurney's book has 24,000 reviews or something crazy yeah. on he has a great book his book is great yeah absolutely his book i when i talk about color i'm always like get gurney's book uh that's a, a great place when it comes to like color mixing and stuff uh not a lot of people talk about it in terms of like strings uh but it is there like jack farragasso talks about it in his book but um but not into detail i think actually our still life goes went into it and that's actually um one of the chapters that people actually said, you know, that that made a lot of sense to me, the color side. Um, yes, Tony, <laughs> when it comes to like the color models, I go into three, I go into the traditional color wheel. Um, I go into the Roy G. The, Biv. That Roy G. Biv. Yeah. Yeah. And that's pretty much the way that I think about it. I don't think it's, it's that big of a deal. You know, my, Michael Aviano does that too. He's in the mm -hmm. Roy G. Biv uh, uh, traditional or painter's wheels, sometimes what it's called. I also show the Munsell because Hugh Value Chroma, in a sense, comes from all that. Munsell also uh, taught at MassArt, where I went to, which was crazy because when- That's so crazy, I didn't know that. Yeah, so when I went back to um, go to the library and, and uh, use the research library, they're like, we have some models here if you wanna look at them. So I have oh, all wow. these crazy pictures, yeah. That's so cool. Graydon actually went and did, a, I think, a lecture at um, when, um, who owns Munsell? I forget the name, the big company. X-Ray. X-Rite, yeah. yeah. So when they put together like a conference, they they talked in the auditorium at MassArt. Um, it's crazy. So <laughs> the other one that I that I put in there is the additive subtractive um, one that Gurney brings up in his book. He calls it the uh, the Yermby. Yeah, the additive additive uh, and subtractive light. That's really what yeah. it is, right? Yeah. So he calls it the Yermby wheel. I could never understand why um, he called it the Yermby wheel. He said some acronym of your uncle Russ rides a bus or something. And I <laughs> still lost um, 
So I just, I would simplify it and call it the additive subtractive wheel. But I think that in terms of like talking about color, where we're going to go, I think the additive subtractive makes more sense to me. Um, I think painters hold on to the traditional wheel because that's what we've been taught through grade school. The Munsell is the system if you want to, you know, get down into a scientific notation of it, which is what Munsell was doing. It's it's based off of a decimal point of um, five or ten. Yeah. Right. So easier to 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 find exact mixtures when you you have a system like that. And the additive subtractive seems like it's going to go towards like, uh, you know, a, a monitor and mixing combined, um, which is the way in which we experience so much now. So you sort of catered to maybe painters, but to the people who would be like, oh, what's the difference between RGB and CMYK? And you're like, well, I got to yeah. chat about that a little bit. Well, it, it's like touched upon because that could be its own like um, Rosetta Stone of trying to uh, merge these CIE LAB into, um, you know, color mixing, uh, which is more of a subtractive process when you're mixing paints. Subtractive for the audience, perhaps they don't know what it is. Additive is red, green, and blue are basically making up everything that we see on a monitor. When you mix the three together, you get white, right? Those are the three colors on a monitor. Uh, when light strikes uh, paint, it will uh, subtract, which is why we'll see what, well, it'll combine to, to give us some of the color mixtures. Um, and whatever it rejects is the color we see. So it yeah. tracks everything. And that's what, what's, that's what we end up, you know, our brain makes sense of. Yeah. Right. And then it's like, you could go down the rabbit hole and then you could bring up like uh, David Briggs and go into hughvaluechroma.com, which is amazing. Yeah. That's a good site. Yeah. But it's like, you know, how far do you want to go into any of them? Mine's kind of like trying to be about all of these uh, things. I feel like, that with the artist alive too, I could go into each chapter could be its own book. Putting it all in one, let's say volume like that is yeah. great because all the information's out there. It's just like picking, you know, kind of picking through the rubble or exactly, trying to yeah. find little moments here and there. And then, but you're just doing the job of putting it all together in a concise sort of understandable way. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not, I almost feel like I'm more like Joseph Campbell and it's kind of like you're taking these ideas and you're putting them and saying like, this is what all these people are saying rather than uh, I'm not coming up with my own theories. Perhaps there's a tiny bit of that in there where Doug and I come together and we give like um, predictions for color mixing of like, you could say this is probably what's going to happen. So for instance, when you take, um, when you take two colors and you think about value, let's say titanium white is value, you use the Munsell, so I'll use Munsell. Uh, a value, a nine, right, is titanium white, and then a value ten. one is 10 is average. 10, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, 10 and then values zero or one is- uh, Zero would be black. But you can never achieve that, right? So don't yes. you come in and you do nine to one? Yeah, it's like theoretical black, or black three absolute black and theoretical white. But but you know we have okay, black yeah. and white. Yeah, yeah, right. So I'm just saying the two poles, right? So if you mix these two numbers, you can actually predict that between a one and a nine is going to be about a four and a half. Yeah. But basically, it's like you could do that with colors to a degree. The exceptions are what we put in the book. So we have the prediction of that and then the exception for what what would why it would happen because it's not so much that every pigment is the same you know every because they can be opaque transparent and semi-transparent they're going to yeah. have different properties when they when they mix 
Yeah, yeah. That's why well, when and you, it depends on what paint you've got, right? Like what, how much like right. filler there is, and how much exactly. is just pure pigment. Which yep. is so, also why it's important that you put the 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 label on. So exactly. It's, it's so not this like, wait, why isn't this? Why isn't it? You know, doing what I think it's supposed to do. It's not where you're like, well, you got to look at the label. Exactly. So so um, I talked to Robert Camblin uh, when I was writing the book a couple times. He was awesome. And then I talked to. Um, Michael Harding and Karen Harding. I went to their house uh, and had dinner with them a couple of times. And I wanted to make sure that I got a couple opinions because I didn't want one person to kind of dominate or pull the book towards uh, anything. So, um, so for instance, you know, this is more of like um, the way in which, well, there's many different ways to paint, but, or mixed colors. So we use more of like Munsell. That's actually the way that I usually paint a prediction of uh, hue value chroma to kind of get where I need to go. Mm -hmm. But some, some artists will use complementary colors, right? So when you get into complementary mute mixing, that's actually typically what it's called. Cause you're usually, usually using a red, let's say in a green or a blue green, if you're Munsell to get to the center, which you're predicting is going to be a new, um, a neutral, but it's almost never neutral. Right. Yeah. So I actually put a graph in there to show what happens when you do all these and they all pull through color space. So it's it's one of the most hardest uh, ways of predicting what's going to happen with two colors when you mix them, complementary mute mixing. Yeah. On cell, you know, you can do one at a time, right? Yeah. You can do hue, value, or chroma, depending on what you're mixing. Like Qbert, you're like one space, one <laughs> one space at it, one jump at a time if you want, and then eventually, when you get very comfortable with it, you can uh, do two or three spaces in one in one jump. But again, like that type of idea to put into a book and make it, you know, understandable is difficult. But like, I know we've chatted about this and you know, what you've told me, I'm like, man, this is going to be a great book. Like you're going to, I hope so. I, you know, I know that the, the big people out there that, you know, sometimes they want to protect their own book and they'll try to take it down. I don't particularly care. I just want to help people. Um, I think that there are, you know, everybody out there is, is doing good stuff. David Briggs is awesome with Hugh value chroma, James Gurney, uh, you know, know, it's a cool one is um, the Richard Schmidt uh, a la prima mm -hmm. book where he mixes yeah. all of his color, color charts. Yeah. Every, yeah. Those color charts are amazing. Yeah. Those are really good. Yeah. And Actually, talking about like being able to predict what your paint is going to do. Like he's, you know, you, if you actually just go through the trouble of mixing every color with every other color on your palette, you'll, you know, then you've just, you've got it there. And it's yeah. amazing the sheer amount of variety and color you can get from two or three colors. Like yeah, I didn't right. realize you can get this much. Like you would think you need that, right. wa that wall of paint. <laughs> you need that wall of paint that we were talking about at the store. It's like you need like two or right. three colors and you can get like an insane amount of variety from just those. Well, that, that's why in the book I show uh, different artist palettes. I, I show like what Zorn could get with this palette, right? So then I show the gamut. So if you were to plot it on a color wheel and then connect it, and if it's by chroma on the outer part of the wheel, you can predict just how much chroma you're going to get. Oh, yeah. So I do that with like every, well, not everybody, everybody who's in the palette section. So like Kate Lehman is in the, in, in the, in their, um, John Singer Sargent's palettes in there, Max Ginsburg. So I, you know, the, the impetus for the book too, is that I wanted to talk about the French academic tradition and the impressionists together because they're so connected. And, you know, we look at them and go, not everybody has this opinion, but I know sometimes people think like the Impressionists 
destroyed everything, right? But they were so connected to the French academic tradition that a lot of them studied in the same ateliers. Yeah. Like Charles Glaber, I think, was one that uh, Monet studied with. So there's a connection there. But there's also the, the spark of the Industrial Revolution in Europe at the time, which is when all these new colors came out cadmiums and cobalts were thrown into furnaces and then they were deepened or added with metals to then kind of change the uh the the depth of the color and the creation of tubes when they started you know starting to say well we can make all these colors and put them in tubes as opposed to you grinding your own paint that that they become like mass they became like they we can just and consistency they can just make the same color exactly over and over exactly yeah and you see these paint houses pop up and um you know, before then, I think it was uh, pig's bladder is what they used to put it in. And yeah. it would still... Uh, Tony still does. I still do. <laughs> <laughs> but they, I think they had metal tubes back then. And then they moved to aluminum. So, um, but yeah, but also uh, the portability of easels, the ferrule was invented. So you went from like round brushes into flat brushes, which is why the uh, impressionists love that stuff. Um, umbrellas, using umbrellas outside to yeah. kind of paint under... Uh, I guess the most overused word now is plain air painting in a sense, like every, people were starting to go outside and, and paint um, plain air. And they needed, you know, to do some of those plain air paintings, they needed those like jacked up chroma colors that really didn't exist outside of like a, a vermilion or, you know, something like that. Otherwise it was like, it was pretty, like the, the early palettes were pretty earth tony, and that's about it. And right. then it's just, they just started getting these, synthetic colors and everything and the chroma started going bigger and higher and higher and that's what's kind of brilliant about some of these um what were the early co- yellows was i mean it was naples yellow well, they had naples and they had like lead naples and like you know yellow lead tin yellow yeah, yeah, lead tin nickel, yellow. nickel titanate um, yeah yeah more of the ochres um the the, the iron oxides natural iron oxides were have been used that's when you go back to like rembrandt's palette Mm-hmm. And Rembrandt didn't have a lot of blues. He had maybe a little bit of lapis lazuli. I think it, it's David Bombre uh, wrote a book um, where he he works for the uh, worked for the National Portrait Gallery in London, and he took in X-rayed some, but also took paint chips off the side, and he was able to see that you know what were the colors that were in a lot of ochres uh, in Rembrandt's palette. Lapis lazuli, maybe I think smalt. I can't remember if smalt uh, pre predates him. Um, I but think a lot Smalt of these was on um, Velasquez palette. I'd done mm-hmm. a bunch of studies on that. Of course, then I started to dork out and then went to like natural pigments and bought Smalt and just was like, let's mix it up. I got the powder <laughs> and then it was like, I'll probably never use that, but that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> but I got Lapis Lazuli, like Michael Harding sells yeah, it. He, he had, yeah, he sells it. Yeah. He had genuine vermilion. The other thing is like he had genuine uh, Naples yellow and it's not like, you know, there's one Naples yellow that everyone used. Of course, it uh, depended on uh, the location or what variety you got of it. But, you know, there's a difference between the Naples yellow that most manufacturers say is Naples yellow versus genuine Naples yellow. Uh, yeah, which was like probably mined in like Afghanistan or something. Like totally that. lead-based, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But lead, lead on my Naples sweatshirt. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Napoli, Napoli. <laughs> but even like Vermilion, you know, I, people so like glibly throw in cad red light as like Vermilion. And it's like, have you painted with Vermilion? I have now. 
it's but it's like different. for me and yeah it's it's a lower chroma and it's it's almost like titanium white versus uh lead white lead white yeah when you add lead white into a color it gently brings it over it doesn't like you know quickly bring it's it it's not over. like a sledgehammer <laughs> yeah that's what titanium does so yeah a lot of those old colors were uh were gentle gentle um low tinting strength colors when you were writing this book um, you know, you had your ideas and your knowledge and your experience, but were you like, what was there a lot of moments like aha moments as you're writing this? You're like, whoa, I'm like, I'm becoming my first student, you know, and oh, yeah. in a way where you're like learning as you're writing. Yeah. I think if you also become a better teacher because you're trying to compartmentalize it and put it into an order and it doesn't always have an order, but at least it makes it so that you could teach it in one um, yeah, Michael Harding going up and talking to him and, and Robert Gamblin when it came to uh, materials was just like, damn, like, like, basically, Robert was like, they, during the Industrial Revolution, they just took every color and threw it in a furnace and then tried to see what would happen. And that's why we have a lot of these colors. <laughs> I know when at last time I was talking with Michael Harding, he was just like, telling us stories of experimenting he was doing that was like probably dangerous <laughs> yeah but he's like ah i just got i gotta figure it out i mean he was just curious yep. and he was like i'm gonna do these like you know these tests on vermilion and using like mercury and all these things exactly. again these are just experiments he did it's not st stuff that would be in his paints currently but you know that idea it's it's in the same spirit of what we're doing in the sense that we're just like we're experimenting all the time and they're experimenting yep. with their craft you know, they're, they're both artists too, but like they're experimenting with their craft to see like how, what happens if I yeah. heat this one up and, and, and try not to die from the off gassing of this thing. Or, yeah. I mean, the trying not to blow up my studio. it was funny you say that. Cause when I showed up, he walked out with like a grinding bowl with powdered vermilion. And Ooh. I was like, I don't think I should be sitting close to that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like mercuric sulfite. Like, yeah. And he's like, no, it's not, uh, it's not, uh, poisonous and i was like okay well you can keep it over by you <laughs> <laughs> like all mad scientists you know <laughs> i'm just gonna put my gas mask on now <laughs> but there, what's interesting I, you know he did this quick experiment i know he does it a lot but it was like he took two colors i think it was um phthalo blue and um like a quinacridone and you were if you made the prediction of what it was it pulled in a different direction so i forget what it was meaning it pulled in a direction that you didn't expect it to yeah, it made it made a different color, and I was like, "Holy crap!" And that was more of like because paint is, uh, you know, what undertone is in painting and mass tone. I do, but Ted doesn't. All right. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> That's all. Yeah, explain it to to Tony. Yeah, I'll, I'll for Jay. Um, <laughs> so mass tone means that when you take uh, something out of a tube and you just squirt like a, a glob out of the tube, right? That's mass tone, which everything looks opaque. But yeah. it's it's not like take ultramarine blue or lizard crimson. They're pretty uh, gel like. You could shine light through it, and it would uh, it's pretty uh, translucent. translucent. Yeah. But then if you take and you smear it, that's actually what the undertone is. So it's a different perception of the color when you do that. So in undertone, the colors that he was mixing gave a different optical mixture than when they were together and mixed. It's a trick of like he would smear it with his finger. Oh like, yeah, uh, it's a Ken Salas trick. <laughs> Slate of hand. <laughs> I remember um, knowing or, or learning about even the same exact pigments. Everything is exactly the same. The same, you know, raw material. The same 
you know, let's say linseed oil, slightly bigger. Uh, the grind is maybe particle, not as fine, yeah. the yeah. particle size, and it made a completely different color. And I was like, but yeah. everything is exactly the same. And like yellow ochre at a different grind particle acts completely different. And I was like, yeah. okay, then, you know, that's just kind no. of. No, how do you make sense of it, right? So that's that's also what I'm trying to do is, you know, CAD red, CAD red light, and CAD red deep are all PR 108. So pigment red 108, that's what the PR stands for. And then it starts at zero and then goes all the way up and as they keep adding them. I don't think they're in any particular order either because uh, the numbering system came in so much later, I think in 1996. Uh, so how can you have the same color in three different uh, th three different shades? It's because yeah. they just they cook it. So they're they're cooking it longer in an oven and therefore you can get a deeper uh, color or or shifting in color space because cad red light shifts towards orange and cad red or cad red deeper and, and more like red. But it's also like we're still I'm still taking it and shrinking down the amount of information because, when Michael Harding, when he would say, I would go to a pigment house, he's like, there's 35 different CAD uh, yellow lights <laughs> and they're all look different. So how does it fit in with the line that you're, what are you trying to achieve? You know, you can't offer all of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you just kind of pick and say, okay, this is my CAD. <laughs> CAD yellow light. Yeah. So like if George O'Hanlon read my book, he would destroy it. I'm sure that uh, <laughs> David Briggs would do the same. But it's more of like the tip of the iceberg to give everyone an overview of all these things. And then if you want to go down the rabbit hole, uh, you can go further. That'll be well, part two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well, I have a question. I know that you're doing that and you're, you're writing another book. There's a third one on the horizon. And, you can know. Can you talk about it or no? Yeah, yeah. That's not a writing thing. That's um, well, it's, it's, illustration it's a word. Yeah, it's an illustration thing. But again, it's going into a book. That... Yeah, they're, they're all on Amazon. So we can talk about them. Oh, um, yeah. That's like called pre-orders. Um, yeah, yeah. That's through a, a different publishing company. It's called Cocktails of Still Life. So the editor of my first book was uh, a gentleman by the name of James Waller. And he wrote a book called Drinkology, which sold like 70,000 copies. So he's like the writer in the drink world. And um, we were placing the cocktail paintings that I had done in my book. And I said, James, would you ever want to do a, a cocktail book where I write you know, I, I'm sorry, I paint, do the paintings and you do the like recipes or something. And he said, Todd, that sounds like a fantastic idea. Well, let's talk about it when we're done. <laughs> <laughs> so when we were done, we, we got a, uh, an agent and she shopped it around and uh, like the first bite that we got was a huge bite. And uh, we took it. We invited another uh, writer, Christine Sismondo, uh, to help James and the three of us cranked it out. I did 35 new paintings in like three months. It was stupid. I would never ask anyone to do that or, or recommend anyone do that. Were you drinking the drinks as you were painting them? I was actually. In, in Are you drunk way. right now? Are you willing to admit that you're drunk right now? Maybe I'm working on the second book right now. I, you, know. <laughs> you know, we're sitting here talking about your book a lot, but again, you're, I mean, I know you're an author, but you're an artist. You know, I never thought I would become an author. Um, Everything I think begins with being an artist, and then these things kind of find their way. Um, Joseph Campbell uh, says, "When you follow your bliss, uh, you know doors open where for others there are walls." I think in a way, it's just kind of like when opportunity knocks, and somebody says, "Like we're looking for this thing," before saying no, I'll actually consider it, and then if I feel like it's it's something I want to do, I'll do it. So, 
you know, those are a lot of serendipitous moments have happened where things just kind of landed in my lap. You know, I, I think we all have our, our tried and true methods the things that we sort of fought pretty hard for. Like, I think every one of us here, Jay and Ted and all of us, you know, we, we put in our time. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really important to us and it's really um, special and dear, but I think everybody here and most of the other people that I admire are like, yeah, that would, sounds kind of cool. I don't know that I'd, I'd do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm always like, if something came up and somebody had a, a an idea, I would always, um, I would always think about it first, but also of course, talk to the family to make yeah, sure that well. it's okay. Cause <laughs> We have a three-year-old and I watch her, I, I watch her Monday through Friday for the most part and writing two books. It, it was almost insane because they said yes to both books within a week. And <laughs> when, when it came to the first book, they took six months to get back to me. It got to the point where we were, my wife was pregnant with my daughter. We didn't know at the time what we were going to have. We just knew that the child was going to come at the end of the year and they waited till August the middle of August to say, yes, you know, she was due on December 30th or something. Oh, wow. So they came to me <laughs> the middle of August. And then I had to hammer out a contract with my lawyer to make sure that um, we were going to go through. Cause you know, even if you get the deal, it doesn't mean you're going to agree to the terms. Yeah. So then when I said, yes, I was like, I basically, what do I have? Four months, September, October, November, December, four months to write a book. And I just said, fuck it. I mean, I, that's the only thing I can do is try um, and then I knew that she was, well, the baby was coming. So I just, every day, my wife would come down and I'd be up to like two or three in the morning and I, I couldn't write past like midnight cause it was mush, Yeah. but I could work on illustrations and like email people and say, I'm looking for this image. Can I use it? And then fill, fill the paperwork. But she'd come downstairs and I always had music on in the studio or Joe Rogan or Neil deGrasse Tyson or somebody, someone to listen, something to listen to. She was like, you were dead quiet. You were just like focused and like in there. Uh, it was a beautiful place. But my my daughter, so on December 10th, my daughter wanted to come out. It was actually my wife's birthday. And she came out three weeks early on my wife's birthday. It was pretty amazing too. My daughter's book is December 10th too. Really? Yeah. Uh, my littlest one is December 10th. I didn't amazing. know that. Yeah. Get out of here. We got to celebrate. There you go. Do a Zoom call. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, God, nothing, nothing can light a fire under your ass like a deadline, like a deadline like that, where you're like, yeah. it's kind of yeah. amazing to be like, I, I don't know, I, I can't do this. And you figure out a way to do it. You know, you just. Yeah. Originally, when Victoria said how much time, you know, I had an email crafted and I was like, I don't know, two weeks. And I was like, I couldn't have wrote a book in two weeks. Like, no way. So wait, so- how long did it take you from how long did it take you to write the book then? It you did me, it in, in that t- time frame? It took me four months. Wow. And then um, I asked for an extension just because when she, you know, we had the baby, it kind of threw me off a little bit. But that extra month was like the incubation for the book. It, it was where I was able to test uh, the, the material, send it to Doug, have him write, uh, read it, send it to some of my students, they read it. And then it really became, I think, refined because I could see the, um, the poles that were being poked a- across the board. Um, but I, I would say I wrote it in five months. I wouldn't recommend everyone, anyone to do that either. <laughs> that is a short time. Yeah. That was a really was, short time for a 300 page book. And, and it's not just the writing, it's the 
getting the images and, and putting it together and, and crafting uh, crafting a whole thing. It's not just like writing. Well, and I did all the illustrations for it. Yeah, and that, so, yeah, so, and then you did paintings. Jeez. But it was good because I, I kind of like an moved animal. around when I needed a break. And I was teaching at Mass Art, so I had to drive to Boston every Friday and teach. <laughs> but it was good because that time was like the thinking time, and I would write shit down while I was like on 95 driving up there. <laughs> it would be this scribble of like, you know. Um, but for this book, they gave me a little bit longer time. And then I thought they were going to take six months to get back to me. The pandemic had just happened. And I was like, I don't have shit to do. Like, I'll write a book. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, you know, what book do you want to write? And I gave her a proposal for five books. And she said, why don't you pick one? And and I picked the color book and uh, she said, that's the one I would have picked. Uh, What's so, the, like, what was number five? Like the, the one that you're like, oof, I'm really that's glad. Coming. Don't, don't say, say it out one. loud. That's still coming. <laughs> Actually, Tony's yeah, going to steal your idea. I know. He he uh, dude, you, tonight. Yeah. You, you could steal it. Uh, I don't know if I want to write more books. We'll see. If this one flops, I probably wouldn't write another one. But um, composition is always one I would love to uh, write because I yeah. think when it comes to the uh, you know like animation and that side of it i think there's so much to offer uh so it's not just about you know i, I think what some people get sick and or bored of is just like that there's all of this sacred geometry and everything and it's like no you could study it like film does which is just uh uh high contrast and you know yeah. eye eye movement for peace uh so so that was my hope but she was like i don't think a composition book would do well um the market isn't huge for composition, but color is really big. Yeah. And then I said, maybe a drawing book would, having seen like John DeMartin's book, I wouldn't touch drawing. You know, the people that do the drawing books, like Tony Ryder, it's like, no, I don't want to. Really, yeah, they're really good. Can't do better than that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think yeah. the other two were maybe, um, maybe like flower painting, which, you know, I think they wanted, but I was like, Katie Whipple should write that book, not me. <laughs> you know, like, or Sadie Valeri or Kathleen Speranza. Like, they're all oh awesome. God. Kathleen Speranza's flowers are so good. Yeah. 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 Like, what am I going to like? Cocktails I mean, I, is your book. Well, that's why it's like that. That one, again, just kind of landed in my lap where James was my editor. And I was like, how are we not going to do a project? That sounds then, awesome. Yeah. So, can't complain. I can't complain that. I got them at the same time. And then I had like three months to paint that um, 35 paintings. It was stupid. That's insane. <laughs> well, this is all super inspiring, Todd. Um, you know, I'm, you know, not only can I, you know, call you my friend, but like you're an inspirational dude to be able to like run and, and, and do what you've done. And, and, and it's, and when you did it, you just kind of did it. Like, I remember when you're doing it, it just kind of like happened. It wasn't this big, oh, I'm going to be, you're just like, yeah, I'm going to kind of work on this thing. And you're like, wow, this came out really great. So I like that. I love the curiosity thing. And, and again, you're my friend, but also you're, you're great artist and inspiration. And I wanted to thank you for just coming in and we haven't recorded in a while. And um, I'm really glad, like, we're re-recording now and you were the first because it's it's one that we've been wanting to get we wanted to get you on for a while now. We have been talking about this forever. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh it's an honor to be on here. You've had a lot of good guests. And like I said, you must have run out of people. Uh no. No, we're not we're not scraping the bottom yet. They keep making new ones for us. Yeah. Yeah. 
people no, keep kidding. on doing cool things and we're like you know what it's just an it's an ongoing we're just like an ongoing thing where we can just find new people who are doing cool inspirational stuff so but thank yeah, you Todd. Todd. Thanks, and, and thank you for the book congratulations it's i mean the, the still life book looks great is there a a date when the uh the color book is supposed to like kind of attend you can pre-order them now right yeah, June 14th, you know, I'll leave you with this. Uh, we had chatted right when I got the book. And I know uh, Ted and I, I went to your studio. We chatted on the new book, too. So you guys are definitely always uh, artists that I look up to and friends, too. So uh, I always appreciate uh, you guys taking the time on that. Do you have some, <laughs> like, amazing cocktail recipes that you're, like, exploring because of the book? Yeah, there was definitely a lot. Like, when it comes to, like, I'm the blue, the most blue-collar cocktail guy. I'm, like, Jack and Coke, sure, whatever, you know. Uh -huh. uh, but my favorite drink is the sidecar, which is kind of like a brandy margarita. Yeah. Um, but there was there was definitely a lot of them in, in the book, like a Pisco Sour. Uh, not a Pisco Sour. That's pretty common. Um, oh, I love those. <laughs> yeah, they're they're awesome. They're great. Hey, but tell like, you what, do you think you can uh for when you're when this episode comes out, maybe you can give us like a good recipe that we can th throw on the on the website just for people to be like, ah, a little pre oh, and then, yeah. I'll check, yeah. Yeah. I have so my perfect a, margarita one. I'll I'll throw that one in there too. There you go. Mm -hmm. But like a Jack Rose is one I'd never had before. And that was uh Applejack brandy. I think um Grenadine. Grenadine. Grenadine, yeah. Yeah, and lemon lemon juice. It's a beautiful oh, yeah. yeah, it's a good one. Good. Sounds good. Or like the Vucare. They're things like Ooh, they sound so, that sounds, I mean, that sounds so sophisticated. sophisticated. <laughs> yeah, so like Sex anyway. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that book because uh having a good cocktail book with a uh, beautiful art in it is uh something that should That's be a great idea. My show. And um well thanks so much again, Todd. This has been awesome. Yeah, thanks yeah, for having me, guys. It was awesome. And Jay, uh, obviously, I haven't seen you. Jay Braun, Braun, Braun. Super glad yeah. you were able to get on because I miss you, buddy. Yeah, man. Uh, we actually owe Trekkle a catch-up episode. Okay, we're gonna do one. So let's get that going. Well, aren't you? Uh, you're you you get uh, you're a, a Trekkle artist as well, or aren't you, Tom? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm on the pro team. Yeah, that's awesome. I yeah. highly highly recommend. All right, guys, we'll talk soon and uh, stay tuned for a bunch more awesome episodes that we are actually uh, slated to record. So it's going to be brand new suggested donation podcast. So don't gonna... overpromise. Don't overpromise. We're going to. Yeah, we always do that. Because once you say it, it exists. All right, <laughs> guys, we'll see items. you all soon. All right, all right see you all soon. Right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Later.